Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and the MBUK magazine as well. Joining me in the podcast studio today is Liam Kyle. He is our road and gravel presenter on the Bike Radar YouTube channel. How's it going, Liam? Uh, I'm stressed because I'm going to America tomorrow oh, for things. Dropping it in already. We'll ask yeah. you about that in a minute. Uh, we also have Jack Evans. He's a digital writer at BikeRadar.com. How's it going, Jack? I'm very well, thanks, Tom. I'm fairly fresh from a really good gravel bike packing trip in Belgium, Wallonia, last week. Wow. So, um, yeah, I feel like I had a decent time off. It was just a long weekend, but some really good riding, uh, good beer and frites, and back in, back, up, back in the office now. Happy days. Actually, uh, you might well have enjoyed the podcast that we put out just the other week uh, with myself, Oscar and Robin, all about bikepacking. I haven't yet listened to that one. It was contractually obliged to do so. I think it came out in the week I was away and the Bike Rider podcast was not something I was reaching for on my uh, time off. But um, I will catch... Savage. I will catch up on the train home to Birmingham tonight. <laughs> if it helps, when I went on my bikepacking trip last year, I listened to every single episode of the podcast while I was away because I was so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really good. <laughs> no, I'm very well, thanks, Liam. Uh, I am... Uh, yeah, what am I doing at the moment? I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm... It's that dead season, isn't mm, it? There's a lot to do, but none of it very, like specific if that makes yeah. sense nothing's jumping out as like oh I'm doing this and I'm really stoked I'm just doing lots of things and I'm equally stoked about all of them I would describe this in in the kind of general public's view this would be your 3pm afternoon oh, slump yeah. this is how I think about this time of year I've had the carbs of the early summer yes yeah. and nothing is going on in the, the bike world the spring coffee has worn off 
the worlds have just happened. Well, you know, the worlds have mostly just happened. Yeah. All the, f- all the products are out. I'm just looking forward to the autumnal dinner that will perk me up for the, yes. the winter. I'm a bit surprised, to be honest, Tom, because today at our meeting you mentioned you were testing headset bearings. <laughs> I can't believe you're not more excited. Oh and if that's not thrilling, then I don't know what is. Oh, I am. I, I literally am testing headset bearings. I did back-to-back testing of the top headset bearing on my gravel bike uh, yesterday. How, uh, in my how? own time, in my free time, I decided to go and spend some of that. How do you do that? Uh, I uh, I swapped headset bearings numerous times on a ride and repeated little runs down a gravelly road uh, just to sort of see the difference. So the, the, the context behind this is that there is a new damped headset bearing coming out, which is harder to turn, uh, which in theory calms your steering output or input, depending on how you look at it. You know, the bars are less like jaggly all over the place. Mm. Um, and, and is there to sort of calm everything down? It's a bit like Canyon's Kiss system on their mountain bikes, which is like a spring loaded damper for the fork, um, but it doesn't have self returning properties like the Kiss thing does. Sounds like a rusty headset. <laughs> it sounds like a headset that's been clamped down too hard, um, but it isn't. And you're not crushing your bearing as you go. And I'll be honest with you, it did actually make it makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dear listeners, that is commitment to the testing course from yeah. Tom Marvin. Hey, yeah. I live for it. I absolutely live for it. Liam, why are you going to America? Depending on when this uh, podcast comes out, I'm going to record two versions of this. <laughs> so the first one is <laughs> And the second one is I'm going to America to see a brand about a new product. Wow. Yeah. Insightful. Nice and Where about you going in America? Uh, is up with that? Bend, Oregon. Oh, cool. So Pacific Northwest. The other side of America. Oh, all the jet lag on the way home. Yeah, 10 hours of jet lag. Cool. Where do you fly to for that? What's your flights? Uh, Seattle and then up to Redmond. Nice. And then back. So and then back, it. obviously. We're not just yeah. staying there forever. Well, <laughs> well who knows? I, I might want to. <laughs> Slightly more glamorous than Tom's recent... Te- testing, yes, but um, it's, it's changing yeah. headsets going down the gravel road. But, yeah, yeah. Ying and Ashton Yang. Court. Yeah, we're staying at a golf and spa hotel. Right. And if you ever thought the cycling industry was one big jolly, <laughs> it is. Can I be honest? I once went. I, I had um, you know, there's there's all those programs on the BBC of like world's best hotels or world's nicest restaurants and all that sort of thing. I was watching one, and they had this hotel in Switzerland where it's like really like Gucci, like mm. super nice, and uh, I. Uh, I ended up staying there on a, on a launch once. Oh, wow. And I text a friend of mine, and I was like, guess where I'm staying? And they were like, you're not at one of those fucking hotels that's been on that program we've been watching. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> um, I I did a massive faux pas. I, I got there quite early for the launch, so I had like a few hours to, to kill, um, and I didn't want to spend it all in the spa. Um, so I sat oh, in no. the <laughs> I sat and I thought I'd have a little coffee and cake. And... Uh, I sat in like the little cafe place, or obviously it wasn't called a cafe in such a posh re- posh hotel. It was a a lounge, I guess, and had a really nice strawberry tart with my with my coffee. And then like there was like there was no one around, and so I just sort of figured it was just all part of the all inclusive experience. So oh. I, I then stood up and walked off, <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden a flurry of activity behind me is these two or three people came rushing after me to charge me 15 Swiss francs for my coffee and, uh, and, and strawberry tart. I would just like to say that it's not all glamour. I have stayed in 
a premier class before, which was neither premier nor class. <laughs> there was no air con. It was 36 degrees on the ground at the <laughs> Dauphiné, and there was a communal toilet. So, nice. you know. I, I've once shared um, a bed on a launch with a product manager, uh, and it was his birthday, and he was absolutely pissed. Uh, and I really wasn't, and that, and that was really, like, I was not... I wasn't blown away by that experience. I mean, I've shared a bed with my tech editor before, and <laughs> yeah, just oh god, and not in a not in a good way either. You know? <laughs> he neither of us. He was not best pleased. Neither neither was I. But. Yeah. So it isn't always glamour. No. Jack, what's your most glamorous experience I was, while we're here? I might as well share mine. Um, so I was at Oatroot Davos last year, and I'd time my. Um, transfers very badly so I got into Davos at one o'clock in the morning stumbled into the hotel um, not really realizing I was going to be sharing a room with someone I woke up Charles Kagimu from the uh, team Amani who was going for a top three overall so I disturbed him <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning as I was trying to build my bike for the next day and um, overslept missed the start the next day so I had a frantic sort of 45 minute chase to uh, catch up with the main group at, once the sportif had set off and had the embarrassment of having um, woken up one of the top athletes. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, there we go. We could make a podcast out of this. But we shan't because we do have a point to today's podcast, uh, which is all based off an article that, Liam, you wrote uh, for BikeRider.com. And I believe you might have even made a video about it because that is your job. I make the video first and then someone, I can't remember who, usually poor old Stan or Jack, uh-huh. has to make my script into site-worthy content. There we go. Which is very easy to do. Oh, oh. no, it's not. <laughs> we we get away with so much more on YouTube. <laughs> you can speak it. You know, exactly. It. Easy. I got my hands to tell you things. <laughs> <laughs> right anyway we shall move on what is what is today's podcast today's podcast is the top five ways that a tour de france pro bike is different from yours now i know it's not tour de france season anymore so uh we're not going to talk about tour de france bikes let's talk about world championships bikes because yeah. that was yesterday uh it was a really entertaining race we all had a lot of fun watching that uh and if you haven't watched it where have you been? Go and do it. It Go was the it. least bike racing-y race I've ever seen. Mm. It was good. It was great. Yeah. Um, I think the course organisers would be quite smug um, last evening, given the criticism they had from absolutely. a lot of the riders and mm. team officials saying, this is a horrible circuit, it's ugly. It's like, a, I think Lekeep likened it to a grey labyrinth, oh. a grey <laughs> urban labyrinth. Wow. But it, it produced some great racing. Brilliant and I think racing, with yeah. those top... Uh, top five riders that were um, that made this final selection shows that it was a good course. Yeah. And I think the women's could even be more open. So yeah, look yeah, out yeah. for that um, on, next weekend. Yeah, next um, Sunday. Which might have already happened depending on when we published this podcast. Um, it was a great race. I, I'm going to put a shout out though uh, to the men's individual pursuit, uh, which also happened last night, the final of which was possibly one of the most enthralling races I've ever watched. Although, uh, I'm going to say the men's Omnium as well, with um, Matey Boy from Portugal uh, basically blowing the field away. I had a re- <laughs> I really enjoyed watching all of him last night as well. Yeah, yeah there we go. Sorry, just dropping our road knowledge into that. I'm mountain biker. And try Yeah, And try I love it. Um, so we'll, re- we'll, we'll retitle this podcast, Five Top Ways a World Championships Pro Bike is Different from Yours. Look at us, reusing it's content. Dreamy. All right. Let's just go straight in there. Number one, Liam, you've claimed that they are lower and narrower. Now, what do you mean by that? Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So uh, a pro race bike. We've got to start with a little anatomy lesson of mm. a professional cyclist. They are genuinely very skinny up top. They they have no arms. They have right. no chest. Um, they have very, very powerful legs. But the fact is that they don't have a lot of mass up top to support them, you know, for them to support. Mm-hmm. So they can afford to go super low at the front mm-hmm. and you know, also super narrow. It's it's not an overly stable position, but it is incredibly aerodynamically efficient. And when you are riding at upwards of 50 kilometers per hour mm-hmm. average on some stages, you need to be aero. And yeah. your body is the most unaero thing about you and your bike. So basically, if you can get your massive lump of a torso and your head out of the way, you're going to go faster. Okay. As you found in wind tunnel testing, Liam. We did. Yeah, I saved over 70 watts from a, you know, my normal kind of on the flat relaxed mm. riding position. You did a video in in the uh, in the pod uh, in the winter Evesham, was it? It was at Silverstone. At Silverstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I did a cycling plus feature a few years ago at the Evesham one, uh, which uh, our dearly beloved bike rider team weren't very interested in. It was a great <laughs> cycling plus feature. We did it years ago. If you want to know, seven watts if you shave your legs, because I did that as well. You've got very hairy legs. Though. I I, resha- I unshaved them. Ah, okay. Liam, Suck it back on, <laughs> Liam. How uncomfortable was it though, getting into the sort of most aerodynamic position? I think there was one picture where you were grimacing, rubbing your triceps. Yes, um, I would like to say that we were coming out of uh, winter. I hadn't done much riding, especially in that position. So my body was not adapted perfectly. I'd had had a very good winter as well. I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing a little more up. Top. You weren't like a pro cyclist. I was not. Up top. I was not. Um, it, it it hurts if you don't train it properly. And that's where the problem comes in for regular riders like us. Mm-hmm. Because we don't do the hours that the pros do, because we've got more of an upper body. Because we don't have physios every day helping us. Also that. And, you know, they're, they're doing gym work as well to, to stabilize themselves in these positions. If you try and go and do one of these positions, as I found out, it's really quite uncomfortable. Um, my triceps were burning. This was a slammed stem. Um, I had 26, no, 36 centimeter bars on. Yeah, not one that I was holding for a while. But mm-hmm. if if I went away this, you know, November or something and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it, did the gym work, then I think it is something that maybe you could replicate a little mm-hmm. you've you've just got to put the hours in really put the hours in yeah i think you really see some extreme examples with stem length 
Um, this was not the World Championships, but for Paris-Roubaix, I think uh, Jonas Ruch from EF Education, Easy Post, was running, was it a 17-centimetre stem? It was, it was also <laughs> known as scaffolding. Right. <laughs> How he handles that bike, I do not know, but he must. Have, he's a very tall rider. I remember um, updating our tallest Tour de France cyclists guide, and I think <laughs> he was he was up there. He is something like <laughs> one nine four, one nine five, and mm. he's probably on a fifty six frame, which is ridiculous. Which is really yeah, small. Really yeah, something that kind of someone that like Casper Asquin will run, and a yeah stretched out stretched out stem, which looks incredibly uncomfortable mm. and um, unwieldy. Should we, do you want to sort of quickly talk some numbers there, Jack? Um, so we, we are talking about the differences then between your normal bike and your pros bike. So a normal person, they're going to be running what kind of width uh, handlebar are we looking at? I'd say that for a large bike, 44 centimetres okay. is standard for a road bike. However, that's decreasing. And for a small, um, Liam would probably know better. You might be at 40 centimetres stock handlebar. I'm, yeah, I, I would say that my setup for a 52 centimetre bike is pretty standard at 40 centimetre okay. wide bar. Um, so, so, yeah, we're looking at 40 to 44 centimetres. Yeah. And and then when we're talking about these pros, what are we down to? 30, I'm, uh, 36 is Diriger now. Because um, that's as narrow as you're allowed for the UCI as well. Yes, they, they have a limit on how close your uh, levers can be you know the gap between right. them can be and i think tellingly we saw mark cavendish's bike and it almost looked archaic because it had 40 centimeter bars mm -hmm. and this is a rider that uh, came to fame really with a sprint position that no one had really seen before he got his head super really low, at the low the yeah. Yeah, yeah and everyone was like that must be for aero and you would expect a rider like that to want to be narrow as well mm. but you know obviously it you know, it works for Cav. There's a feature on site that explores the differences between Jonas Fingergaard's 2023 Tour de France winning bike and Chris Froome's. And the difference in handlebars is absolutely staggering. Mm. Um, probably Chris Froome was on 42, 44 centimetre bars and it just looks like a bus the, at the front end. You know what? The best clip to go and watch is the, the year previous, 2012, Bradley Wiggins in the yellow jersey is leading Mark Cavendish out you know, into the Champs-Élysées. And the guy is rocking like 44, 46 centimetre bars. He, he is noticeably <laughs> got bars that are wider than his hips. Right. Because he was he was pretty skeletal for, for that Tour yeah. de France win. And it looks even more um, striking, I think, than, if it, than when he was in his sort of track days at the start and um, end of his career. Um, yeah, it's um, they've probably dropped six centimetres over 10 years yeah. in width. Okay. All right. Well, number two on the list is you can have whatever you want, or rather your pro cyclists can have whatever they want. No. You... Oh. You can have oh. whatever you want, Tom Marvin. I can have whatever right, I, I want. I, I'll, I'll paint you a picture. All right, paint so, me. Yeah. It's mid-December, yeah. and you're at home. Maybe you've just got back from team training camp. Mm, which there's I do a, every year. There's a knock at the door, Tom. Oh, hello. Sound, sound effects. I'm going nice. to get on the arches soon. Um <laughs> And the DPD man, or whatever it is, drops off a massive box of kit. Right. You open this box up, and your team, maybe you're riding for Sal's Pals Bingol or whatever their name is, is wearing garish yellow and red. Mm, my favourite. That is your kit for every time you step on a bike for an entire calendar year. Right. How do you feel? 
I'm going to say, Tom, it's deflated. Right, yeah. What it is. I have mixed, but I have mixed emotions. You are sponsored by a freak company. Yes. Free, uh, chips and sauce company. So has its oh, upsides. No, you I'm have that. all the mayo that you want. Oh, my. But it's oh not, my it's all the like, samurai it's Belgian the sauce that you want. It's not the best mayo. <laughs> it's not, no, it's, it's, not, not it's not Hellman's. <laughs> no. Yeah, the pros get given their stuff at the start of the year. And that's what they have. And to even greater extent these days than we used to see, their biking components are the same. Mm-hmm. So what they're given is what they're given. And they can make the best of a bad situation um, sometimes, but realistically, what they got is what they got. And if you don't like it, you can't really use a rival brand's product. Yeah. Because it gets or, spotted so easily. Yeah. Or if you do, you have to cover up the logos, which is pretty much impossible with drivetrain components. But mm. it's something you see commonly with tyres. Um, a Maxis sponsor team, mentioning no names, um, were using a GP, um, uh, GP5000 from Continental with um, in felt-tipped covering mm. the logos up. But because it's such a distinctive profile and design, you can tell that they're GP5000. It's very common on mountain bikes. Yeah. Very, very common, basically... Um, Everyone takes their rubbish tires off and puts Maxis on. You got oh. you got nice nice sharpie action Get going sharp on. Sharpies going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask actually on that front before uh, Jack mentioned that. Do do pros? Do you think they ever? You know, they'll have their training bike, they'll be out training, and maybe they're meant to be riding a, a tire that they don't particularly like. Do you think they'll spend a lot of time training on tires they do like, and then swapping them out for races? Or do you think that's too much of a risk in terms of? Getting used to performance. I, I, I would, I would doubt it in terms of brands. They, they might use a tire that's maybe a bit more resistant to mm-hmm. wear or punctures if they find that their race tires get a lot of punctures. But we've seen it with the likes of Tom Pidcock uses uh, Continental's GP uh, Four Seasons, I think, which is actually quite a heavy tire, mm. you know. But he uses that because it gets him through all weathers and it's a bit more puncture resistant mm-hmm. than his race tires and maybe there's a little bit of race day kind of magic there that he's he's getting a faster tire so mm-hmm. his bike feels faster mm-hmm. was he also running um 11 speed on his training bike as well is it um dura race 11 speed he was still di2 though he was definitely running um a dura race 11 speed chain set mm. with the power meter so yeah, they don't necessarily have the, the latest kit either in mm. their um, but that's that's due to supply issues um, right. more than anything. Yeah, I guess there was a lot of issues with DA when it came out and supply oh. and all that sort of jazz. Yeah, but the, the the point of this is that for you and I, the limit to what we want is our credit is, limit. Yeah, your your bank account really. Mm-hmm. If you want to wear a green jersey with some red shorts, mm-hmm. y- you can. It it doesn't matter for mm-hmm. them. And if you don't like something, you can take it back to the shop and, yeah. and you know. You can wear complain. your Raffa top with your gore bibs and no one's oh, going to go for it. shed any tears. You're not going to get any yeah. emails from Mr. Raffa. And, or... and the, the biggest thing is the rain jackets, you can have a gore shake dry uh-huh. jacket because they're the ones that work. Yeah. Some of the riders will get a rain jacket and, you know, probably cry when they go out for it, you mm. know, in the, in the rain for the first time and it, they find it seeps through. Yeah, the infamous story of the of the blacked out Gabba yes. in the Milan San Remo. What um, marketing that was, eh? That, that's yeah, that's that's not not to touch on now. But yeah, sometimes the the professionals that have actually bought Dubai kit themselves mm-hmm. that um, that's not provided by their team, um, and that that goes for nutrition products as well and, and training products as mm-hmm. well. Sometimes even coaching. Um, the um, Matteo Jorgensen has talked about paying for a lot of his his coaching budget himself. Okay. Um, 
but also his TT bike setup as well. He, you know, he was talking about wind tunnel stuff and his uh, front end, I think, a lot as well. You know, the amount of money that as a rider he's invested into his own equipment, which you go like, oh, yeah, that's quite cool. But then you think you're a professional rider. Like, what the mm. hell are Movistar doing? Mm. So, yeah, it's not. Yeah, sometimes they um, there are ways around it, but they have to pay for it. Lovely stuff. Okay. Number three, they're cleaner than yours. Now, as regular <laughs> listeners to the bike radar podcast will know, pretty much everyone's bike is cleaner than mine. Or well, maybe not mine, Tom. Or maybe not yours. Okay. Well, maybe um, maybe they're cleaner than yours. Yes. I mean, I like to think that I keep good care of you know my bike. It, it gets a wash once a week, especially after a rainy ride. Right. But. I've I've been in the pits waiting for um, a, a bike to come from Israel Startup Nations Mechanics, and we wanted to see it. We had to wait. That mechanic honestly washed it thoroughly twice, and it was ridiculous. Like, and you know, we're seeing him rinse off the bike. We're going, great, it's going to be here soon. Nope, he started all over again, and we're talking a full drivetrain, deep degrease. A full frame clean, you know, wheels get checked over, the tires get inspected for the, even the littlest mm. flint that could cause a puncture. Sealant, of course, as well. Yeah. When um, Simon uh, von Bromley, our, our colleague, did a feature about Movistar at the um, at the Giro d'Italia, um, I was really um, impressed by how the Movistar mechanics were changing and topping up tubeless sealant in between stages. Really? Yeah. I do it in between years. <laughs> yeah. I think the standard advice is sort of every six months yeah. you might give it a, a quick check, but they're doing it every stage. But this, wow. this, so the, the old process that teams have had to adapt to is now that they're using tubeless and not tubular, those kind of rest day jobs would have been, okay, we've had this many punctures, mm. go and glue this many tubs. And now they're going like, oh, we've probably had this many punctures, go and reseal or mm. fit you know, however many new tyres. One of the things I, I like watching, because obviously when you see, you know, if you if like me, you, you follow the Tour de France once a year and that's basically as much road cycling as you follow uh, and you watch the ITV4 coverage, which is brilliant. I thoroughly enjoy it. But you often see them doing like a little interview at the end and there's always, at least once during the Tour, them doing outside of a, a mechanic washing a bike and they always get a super powerful pressure washer and they're just like absolutely blasting away. And I'm like, thank God for that because that's what I do all the time. Yeah, pressure washers are should, great, aren't they? Should you wash your bike like those pro mechanics That's are doing? That's the question. Liam? Should you wash your bike like a pro mechanic? As long as you take care of it in terms of re-lubing. And, and also, I want to point out, whenever you see a pro bike build, those mechanics will get aqua-proof paste, like marine grease, and put it in the headset. Uh -huh. they, they ain't mocking mm. about you know they they really are looking after the bearings and stuff okay so they might you know have a bottom bracket for race day that's nice but i guarantee that those pro bikes are rocking some pretty heavy duty grease mm -hmm. so you're talking about bearings grease here to to prevent water ingress into yeah. the bike yeah we you just like it's not meant to have water in it and if you're gonna have that bottom bracket installed for 10 months or something before you do anything to it i want mine to be nice i've got marine grease in my headset hmm. and bottom bracket and i don't care that it's a couple of watts slower i now have a lot of marine grease all over my riding gloves because i spent all of yesterday's <laughs> right changing headsets <laughs> all right number four the pros bikes they are heavy relatively speaking so is a pro bikes heavier than is a pros bike heavier than yours 
I, I wouldn't say that maybe they're heavier than a normal person's bike on a Sunday club run. Mm-hmm. But if you were to like pick up your bike yeah. with your saddlebag on it and everything, and then go and pick up a pro's aero bike, and the key here is aero bike, you probably be like, oh, it's not too light. They're, they're in a way slightly disappointing. Heading up towards eight kilos. They are. 7.8, 7.9 for some of the larger aero bikes. And they're not massive bikes, because as we said. So actually, if you were to go and pick up a pro's aero bike, and the key here is aero bike, and compare it to your bike, I wouldn't say you'd be... No, I was. you, you might be disappointed by the weight. Mm-hmm. They are quite heavy. How heavy? Jack, what do you reckon? Upwards towards eight? Yeah, I think, um, um, yeah, so, uh, someone from Bromley was measuring bikes at the Tour de France Grand Depart. Um, bearing in mind, this was quite a hilly start, unlike last year's in Copenhagen, where there were some more aero bikes being ridden. Uh, but yeah, there, some of them were pushing up towards 7.8, 7.9, particularly on the, on the sprinters' bikes. Um, I think the likes of, um, at, the, at the Giro d'Italia, there was some there were some lighter bikes on show. I think mm. Ina Rubio is very diminutive, Movistar climber. And he, I think his Canyon Air Road was down to, I think it was bang on the limit, actually, 6.8 kilos. That's a UCI weight limit. So even with these aero bikes, particularly if it's a small frame, there are measures the mechanics can make to reduce the weight. But I think another thing is that uh, rim brakes are still very popular amongst um, us amateur riders. And mm. the equivalent frame, if it's um, an older one and rim brake, is going to be quite a lot lighter looking at sort of half a kilo to, to a kilo but um yeah i think if you start adding on obviously we have more accessories on our bikes bike bags saddlebags you don't often see pros racing with saddlebags nor no. mud nor mud guards <laughs> no especially steel mud guards so yeah. yeah we have we have things on our bike that does compensate for that lovely stuff any more thoughts on the, on the weight there uh, liam there are some things that we saw from the start of the the tour this year, um, Vingegaard's bike was interesting in that he had his Cervelo S5, which he'd obviously picked for the aerodynamic, um, you know, the the help there. But he'd gone with shallow section wheels and also twenty four millimeter tubular tires, which Crazy. are narrow, but also, Unrivable. yeah, they're also they they. They're not going to be the fastest rolling either, mm-hmm. but especially when you put it up against Pogacar with his, I think, 31 and 32 millimeter tubeless tires. Huh. You know, there's there's quite a difference there. Okay. Well, you've nicely segued us there, Liam, because your final point, if you remember, was they have hidden tech inside their wheels. So we'll go from the external of... Pogacar's 3132C tubeless wheels to some stuff that you might not be able to see unless you hang around the uh, the team buses like a, a little shrew looking around. This, this is sounding dodgy, so I'm going to rule out motor doping or right. anything like that right now. We're talking about tubeless liners. Um, right. These are polyethylene tubes that go inside the tires. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, they're probably a bit fancier than that, but I've used polyethylene tubing and it was very cheap. Um, it's just foam. Basically, it doesn't soak Pipe up. Lagging. Yes, it doesn't soak up the uh, tubeless sealant. Non-porous. Non-porous. It, um, so Vittoria's airliner, when they brought that one out, they said that it reduced in size uh, when the tyre was inflated. So it doesn't stay anywhere near the tyre during normal uh, okay. normal yeah. ride so it doesn't add any rolling resistance apparently mm-hmm. but 
when you do have a puncture that the sealant can't fix, it expands and it makes it so that your tire is a little less keen to ship itself off of the mm-hmm. uh, off of the rim. But also, you can kind of roll along. You've got maybe like twenty psi in mm-hmm. the tire, effectively. You can roll along in a straight line and then just wait for your team car to come up because we've all got that yeah. on our rides, haven't we? How similar are these to mountain bike tire inserts, Tom? Do you think? Your your description there was sort of quite interesting because obviously on a mountain bike, it's rare that you're running much more than 25 psi anyway. Mm. Um, and a lot of the inserts these days tend to they sit around the the rim bed and they expand into the the void of the tire and prop up effectively the sidewalls of the tire. So some of them really actively push against it uh, to push the rim uh, the rim's bead into the into the wall of the rim to order to prevent burping or to prevent the tire ripping off and obviously and also to prevent pinch punctures um so of quite often they may well take up 40% of the tire's volume um and then there's a few like you know Huck Norris which was one of the OGs that came out after Schwab Procore uh kind of like a a flat rectangular section that just kind of floated around in the middle of the tire and was there basically just to prevent pinches mm-hmm. um but yeah slightly different then in that in that respect but in other ways very similar i.e you get a puncture and just keep on going as until you get to the end of the track or you get to a, a tech zone and you can change your tires they sound a lot more user-friendly than the equivalent in road cycling i think most things in mountain bike are a bit more user-friendly yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so the the issue with tubeless liners on the road is that while they kind of they add a, a, an amazing security to your your setup if you are racing and if you're in a bunch racing situation especially at our level which would be cat three cat four cat two maybe you are you're racing with a load of people that have to go to work on a Monday. Mm. So you want to look after each other. Hope they look after you. You know, having your tire not rip off mid bunch is quite handy. So there's that safety aspect which the pros are using it for because the tire stays on. They can roll along until they get a new uh, a new tire. But for for the average rider on normal roads, you are looking at something that's basically impossible to get off Mm. especially on the roadside if your hands are frozen so are they a good thing for us mere mortals on our normal bikes i'd say no Mm -hmm. add in the you know quite high costs and yeah i'm not one to use them in my tubeless setup yeah but i suppose if you are racing they could prevent a a a quite shocking example of a tire ripping off on the paris-roubaix cobbles earlier this year i think that was maybe in uh, uh Darenberg, yeah. um which yeah um a front tire just completely peeled off the rim mm. and the rider was just suddenly riding along just on the rim along and, the cobbles until, until he wasn't down. riding along at all anymore mm. um, yes i would i would say that Roubaix is one of those examples where kind of sh- you know stuff breaks mm-hmm. um and i wouldn't say that maybe tubeless any tubeless setup is going to be completely secure on Roubaix just because of the way that the wheels and tyres are loaded through the cobbles. Mm-hmm. Um, tubs were probably safer. But even then, you know, in 2022, I think we saw Christophe Laporte sliding along on a collapsed Durace rear rim um, on some cobbles. So I, I just don't think anything survives Roubaix very well. What a silly race. What a stupid... Have you ridden the cobbles? 
I haven't ridden the Paris-Roubaix cobbles. I've ridden, well, I rode quite a lot of rough uh, Wallonia cobbles that feature in GP Le Salmon on my Belgian trip recently. And they are very, very gnarly, mm-hmm. uh, for me at least. Uh, but the Flanders cobbles I've ridden a few, in a few sportives are nothing like the Roubaix cobbles, apparently. But have you you've been out, Lynn? I, I have, and I'd say that one of the best cycling experiences of my life was clattering over the Carrefour de l'Arbre at, at full chat on quite crucially a higher bike because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't mine uh, but also it was a giant tcr and it was very good i like them mm. um but yeah great fun if you can do it where did you rank on the strava segment uh i you know what i was actually on a few of them i was in the top thousand top 500 or something like that which is quite you know impressed me because i'm quite diminutive oh. i'm not a powerhouse that well sounds done. good going yeah yeah i've never ridden them it's great fun go do it no, no, I'd be up for well, it. Lauf would absolutely destroy oh, them, Tom. would be the dream machine. Maybe that's what we'd do. Uh, the next it's... podcast is what gravel bike for the Tour de France. <laughs> that is, that's the controversial topic, though, because is riding a gravel bike on the cobbles cheating? Ooh. No. Yes. Ah. Yes. You've got, you've, you've got to get to the end of a sector with it feeling like you've been holding on to an out-of-control jackhammer. Right. And you need to, for the full experience, you need to then have to peel Mm. your hands off the bars and kind of give them a moment to stretch and work again Mm -hmm. before you can do any braking. Right, okay. That's the experience. That's that's the You see, I would say that's pretty much the experience of any gravel riding on a gravel bike that doesn't have suspension, which, as regular listeners (laughs) will know, I think is archaic because it's designed to go off-road. Oh, we're going to make a video about that, Tom. Okay. And you're going to have to present right. it because I ain't taking the hit on that. <laughs> I'm taking the flat. <laughs> no, there was, yeah. we did that pocket. There was a lot of flack. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait for you to do that. You can also read the feature on bikeweather.com. You can read Tom's. the feature on bikeweather and join in the conversation underneath, which I shied away from immediately. <laughs> <laughs> did you go on holiday? <laughs> I went on, I'm not going to try and justify myself. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, that's been a great little podcast. Thanks ever so much for your inputs. Now, uh, if you have been listening at home, you've enjoyed that. Don't forget to leave us a review. And if you've got any comments, questions, or suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line. Email address is podcast at bikeradio.com. So thanks ever so much, guys. Really appreciate your input. That was a good one. Uh, And we'll be back very soon with another episode of the Bike Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.